Now, Asia First on CNA 938. So retrenchments have been uh, quite an important and significant topic mm-hmm. uh, these past few weeks, even being mentioned in the budget 2024. Yes. Uh, just to give you some figures, uh, the official data shows that the number of retrenchments in Singapore last year uh, more than doubled to 14,320. Uh, that's compared with 6,440 in the year before. Yeah, and technological changes bring about more churn in the economy. Mm. Uh, DPM and Finance Minister Lawrence Wong said this in his budget speech last week. Now, experts uh, expect more workers will lose their jobs in the coming months. Mm. Well, a recent commentary on CNA.Asia explores some regional data about certain countries facing a brain drain. Uh, A recent study put out by Malaysia reveals that three in four Malaysians living and working in Singapore are skilled or semi-skilled. And this trend highlights a brain drain concern for Malaysia as skilled workers are attracted to better job prospects. Uh, as well as favourable working conditions and higher salaries, of course, in Singapore. And authorities aim to encourage their return after they've gained some experience. But how can they attract their talent back home? And which other regional countries are facing the same issue? Well, joining us now to take a closer look is Aiko Kikawa, Senior Economist with ADB, the Asian Development Bank, and she is under the Economic Research and Development Impact Department. Aiko, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I wanted to start with that study, uh, which focuses on Malaysia, but other regional nations like Cambodia, Philippines, Vietnam, Myanmar, Thailand, they experience significant brain drain as well. So what are the common factors driving this human capital outflow? Are there more push-than-pull factors? Um, Yeah, thank you for uh, inviting Edivy to speak on this topic. Uh, So most of the country do experience, depending on which sectors, uh, so-called the phenomenon of brain drain, and particularly those are often discussed uh, in the health sectors that we saw in the case of COVID, for example, you've seen that many developing countries having to face uh, constraint in terms of having enough uh, health workers. So this is not just a common phenomena in Malaysia, but uh, something that is quite common in developing Asia, which is the world's largest reserve of migrant workers. The study also analyzes Malaysians who are living in Brunei, uh, show similar trends of skilled individuals seeking better work opportunities. Talk to us about the similarities between Brunei and Singapore. What do they share that other Southeast Asian countries can try and adopt? Uh, do, do you mean that the type of uh, strategy to attract immigrants or yes. migrants? Okay, so uh, many countries, not just uh, Singapore or Brunei, but you see many of the countries of immigrants, uh, for example, Australia, US, uh, you name it, even the countries in East Asia, countries like Japan and Korea, now are very much eager to recruit uh, skilled talent to supplement their uh, declining populations with uh, declining skills. They would need to have more global workforce that can connect the country to other countries. So this is pretty common, but I would say that the countries such as Singapore or Brunei are more pronounced and more articulate about the strategy in recruiting 
and uh, really pointing to the skilled talent. So you see much more aggressiveness of that, if I may say, on these countries. Mm. Aiko, um, one man's gain is another man's, uh, one man's loss is another man's gain, right? So while host countries gain skilled labour from these other countries, are there potential drawbacks for specific sectors in the long run? Right. So I've just uh, mentioned about this health sector, which mm-hmm. is one, but which, which is uh, very because it's quite visible. No, you see that doctors are going. Um, another sector you sometimes hear are the uh, education sectors, where teachers from, you know, a high school to more uh, a tertiary or advanced degree, uh, they they sometimes see uh, uh, you know talent moving overseas to teach. So those are the sectors. But then if you say you know, throughout the sectors, I think it's affecting all the sectors. If you think about the business, if you think about manufacturing or the innovation that are needed to drive those sectors, they would need innovative and talented skills. So I, I, we, we see that in certain sectors more. But if you see it broadly, I think it's affecting most of the sectors. But at the same time, we have to also acknowledge that it's a it's a drain if you look at it from one perspective, but they're much gains to it through skills acquisition through remittances so we want to look at this situation more more broadly so in terms of malaysia what are the gains what has been you know the 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 additive gain that they had mm. have by having workers worked in singapore and are they not contributing to the malaysian economy so i think it's good to have a balanced view on this topic and what factors would incentivize skilled Southeast Asian migrants to return to contribute to their home country's development? Have you seen any existing successful examples? Okay, so this is a little bit in the past, but I've seen the evaluation of Malaysian return program, which was successful in nudging the return among the people who were thinking to return. But it's very difficult to encourage people who are not thinking to return. Also, it's more like a nudge than, you know, changing the mindset about returning. So uh, I think some of the, these uh, uh, return program, like what Malaysia is doing to to uh, break, uh, have some reduction in income tax and so on, those might help people who are thinking to return. Um, if you're thinking about more broadly trying to recruit and encourage the return of talent, then we're really thinking about having a good business uh, environment so that this uh, skilled talent can really exercise their talent and gain as much as they can gain in the in the countries of destination. This talks about business environment, you know, having intellectual property being properly recognized, having, you know, good financial uh, sector that can invest a whole lot of things. They, they need that skilled talent within their, for example, company to, to have the flourishing business. So all this uh, good, you know, good doing business environment has to be uh, ready for mm. people to return. Yeah, I think that's a very fair point indeed. Uh, now, uh, there's a certain um, aspect to working overseas that I might want to bring up Bring up now. Uh, increasing flexible working arrangements. It's, it's a global phenomenon now, something that we cannot uh, ignore any longer. Um, could Singapore be at risk of losing talent, our own talent, to overseas companies uh, while they continue to live here, meaning they're not necessarily working within the domestic um, organisations, rather they are you know, expending their talent to foreign companies that are based here? 
Right. So you're referring to sort of a migrating without physical migration. Precisely. Like a, what we call it a virtual, virtual migration. Yes, so that's right. That could be, yeah, that, that could be, uh, uh, you know, that probably is already happening that the Singaporean workers who are talented would be getting a contract on the gig, gig type of work to do much more sophisticated uh, technology type of works and so on. So that that is already happening. But as long as Singapore is able to, you know, compensate equally the 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 good wage premium that they can offer, that that is not something that they should be worried about uh, too much. But then, what what yeah, what will be interesting as as we go on is that is it going to be a global phenomena that pe- people will be less migrating, but will be able to, you know, wor- work wherever you want from wherever you live. So that'll be an uh, interesting twist to the migration uh, as uh, we go on for the next decades. Let's turn to look at China now, Aiko. Uh, There, youth unemployment exists. What other factors specific to China contribute to potential brain drain? Will there now be a new influx, perhaps, of employees to compete with? Um, so uh, just to say, I'm not the you know China uh, expert on this topic, but what we observe is that China has experienced a surge in the number of people uh, attending uh, higher education over the last decades. You know, like uh, now, I think approximately about 60% of the population uh, of the youth are attending university, which was, you know, far exceeds what was uh, like. Uh, 20 or 10 years ago. So the, the economy and the structure of the labor market have to adjust to, to, to absorb and also you know, leverage these skilled talent. But then I think the uh, same situation is happening in Korea where you have so many college graduates, but then the type of you know, jobs that can leverage those talents are still limited. The, the economy has to grow but then human resources grow a bit faster kind of situation. So it's really up to the country to, to, to strategize on their competitive advantage. You have these uh, you know, educated uh, college graduates. What can, do, what can country do better with it than what they have been doing, which is more of a you know, manufacturing and uh, working on labor-intensive industries. Indeed, and these are all uh, golden opportunities that these countries can certainly seize. Aiko, thank you so much for spending time with us to talk to us about brain drain across the region, particularly in Southeast Asia. Uh, Your insights have been valuable in the thank you, and we wish you a good weekend. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. That's Aiko Kikawa, Senior Economist with the Asian Development Bank under the Economic Research and Development Impact Department.